Good morning. My name is Sam McLaughlin, and I'm the senior pastor here at Belmead, and we're so glad you're here to worship with us. If you're new, we would love the chance to meet you on your way out today, and we have a gift for you. We want to say welcome to those who are with us online as well. We hope that you will say hello to our online pastor, Rachel. Today is the final Sunday of our sermon series for this May called God of the Movement, God of the Moment. We've been talking about this God that calls us and beckons us, that asks us to act, and this God that is fully present with us here and now, that we are people who need to tune in to what God is doing and where God is in our community and join in on that. Over these past 40 days, over the season of Easter, we've been looking at these stories of Jesus reappearing to his disciples in his resurrected form. And I feel like Jesus did that for two reasons. First, to affirm them, to assure them that he was alive as he said he would be alive, but also to call them to movement-making mission. We've seen throughout these stories how he said, be my disciples for the transformation of the world. Teach my commands. Be my witnesses to the life-changing power of resurrection, not just in your own community, but in the whole world, to all the nations. Last Sunday, we looked at this uh, moment where Jesus, after all of those visits, is taken up in a cloud. And Rachel pointed out to us that that's sort of a mysterious experience, kind of fantastical, but we believe it because the disciples say this was their lived experience. I love at the end of that text, there's this moment where the disciples are literally standing there watching Jesus ride up this cloud elevator. And these two men appear and they say, men of Galilee, why are you staring at the sky? You know, I've always taken that moment to mean, it's your turn, get to work, it's time to move. Today in Acts chapter two, we see what happens when the spirit comes to empower the disciples to continue this movement. 10 days later, they are gathered together in Jerusalem for the festival of Pentecost, this uh, harvest that they celebrate, this wheat harvest. Historically, we know that just as Jerusalem would have been packed at Passover, it was packed with people at Pentecost. And our text tells us that there were God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Now, what I find really important about the Pentecost experience is that the Spirit doesn't just fall on individuals, but on a community of believers huddled together. That speaks to us as we gather here to worship today. But it's also that this Pentecost experience wasn't meant for the disciples who were just huddled together. We are told that people in this city, they heard something, they experienced something, and they wondered what was going on. Now it says, some of them asked the question, what is happening? And others thought, well, they've had too much wine to drink. But Peter stands up. And he explains this Pentecost experience. He really uh, frames it in the prophecy of Joel. He says, listen, in our text, it says that the Spirit will come and pour out on all people, that sons and daughters will prophesy, that young men will see visions, that you are not too young to be a part of what God is doing. 
that old men will dream dreams, that you are not too old to be a part of what God is doing. I was not looking at the choir. (laughs) I turned my head back out here. (laughs) Even servants, even people you don't think can prophesy will be given this power by the Holy Spirit. Now, we didn't read the rest of Peter's speech today, so I wanna tell you a little bit about it. He goes on to explain who Jesus was. He says, Jesus was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. We talked about these miracles, these wonders of signs, all throughout the season of Lent. And Peter says to the crowd, look, Jesus was handed over to you, and with the help of wicked people, you put him to death by nailing him on the cross. But, these are his exact words, God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Peter says, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are witnesses to it. He says, exalted at the right hand of God, Jesus has received what the Father promised of the Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Can you hear Peter explaining what is happening? Now, after hearing this, our text says that people in the crowd, this is the phrase, were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart by this message, and they asked, what should we do? And so Peter replies, repent and be baptized, and you too will receive this Holy Spirit. And it says, with many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Like There is agency and decision to save yourself. And the text says 3,000 people heard something that changed their life, that cut to their heart, and they accepted Jesus and were baptized that day. Now, when you look at Pentecost from a 30,000-foot view, you see this fulfillment of a long journey. Even before Jesus was born, John the Baptist called people to repentance, and he baptized them with water. But the whole time he kept pointing to Jesus saying, somebody's gonna come that's gonna baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so it is here today on Pentecost that all these pieces come together. Jesus' teachings all pointed to his death, resurrection, ascension, and spirit. The plan all along was to have disciples who encountered the miracles and wonders and signs of the God in the flesh who would then go on to testify about God's power and to receive the power of the Holy Spirit for themselves to continue those wonders and signs in his name. The rest of the book of Acts reveals this to us. We see that first and foremost through Peter, this witnessing begins. God raised this Jesus to life and we testify to it. Repent, believe, be baptized, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. 
This past Monday night, I uh, virtually attended an event at Woodmont Christian Church called After Covenant, Faith, Guns, and Protecting Tennesseans. It was a panel of three people, Senator Bill Frist, uh, a doctor who is a trauma surgeon, and their senior pastor, Reverend Clay Stauffer. As some of you may know, uh, Woodmont is just our neighbor over in Green Hills, and they are also down the street from Covenant. And they have had many families in their congregation, congregation who were affected by March 27th. One of those families, a part of their church, is Mike and Katie Dickhouse, who lost their daughter Evelyn on that day. There were so many important, helpful, factual words spoken, but I sat there and thought, you know, the sheer fact that this kind of public dialogue has to exist called me back to those words of Peter, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. We are trying to save ourselves and our children from the evil and violence that exists today, and we acknowledge that our policies contribute to this suffering. What I heard that night was a plea from a pastor who's really been in it, saying, churches, please talk about this. Please create dialogue so that people can listen to one another. What I heard Pastor Clay say is that we have got to stop labeling one another. It isn't fair to say that there is only one group of people trying to create change. In fact, each man sitting on the stage felt that it was important for them to say that they were gun owners. And as gun owners, they wanted change. He continued to dig sort of into this polarization of our country. Everything has become this or that left or right, no gray, no in-between, no spectrum, no nuance. We yell at one another instead of leading productive, respectful conversations. We point fingers instead of investigating the plank in our own eye. We become gridlocked instead of making life-changing revisions. And we know that this way of being has even permeated our churches. I'm weary of it. And I know that you are weary of it. So let me tell you about Pentecost. When the Spirit fell on Pentecost, all of these people heard God in their own languages, in the voices and dialects and tongues that made sense to them. The Spirit of God found a way to break down barriers and create a unification among Galileans and Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and Cretans and Arabs. And so in the same way, we have to believe that the Holy Spirit can find a way to permeate our polarization and break down our barriers and eradicate our exclusionary tendencies and unite people Liberals, progressives, moderates, conservatives, gun owners, non-gun owners, can we stop? What if Christians, united by the Holy Spirit, led a way for how to live in this world and create meaningful and needed change? The truth is, people wanna say these are political issues. They are not political issues. 
They're issues of scripture because Peter says, we are the people who witness to the God who raised Jesus from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. United and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Can Christians be people who free people, free others from the agony of death? Can we proclaim a God of resurrection? What I'm saying is a life led by the Spirit who unifies us around the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus is our cohesive mission, our one focus, our cut-to-the-heart message for the world. Perhaps like me in your life, you have had experiences that are truly indescribable, indescribable, or better said, are beyond the descriptors that you have at your disposal, right? The only way that you know how to explain them is to draw upon similar feelings or words or experiences. The same is true for Pentecost, Our text says, when the day of Pentecost came, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. What clues, what experiences of wind and fire in scripture help us to understand the weight of this mysterious experience. In the Old Testament, wind is often used as a picture of temporary or futile not life. The Psalms say the link of a human life is frequently imagined as a whisper in the wind. In Ecclesiastes, this phrase, it's like trying to catch the wind, is the common refrain to show pointless or meaningless actions. Wind can also negatively signify doubt or uncertainty. In Ephesians, Paul speaks about believers who develop spiritual maturity as opposed to those who are tossed and carried about by all kinds of teachings that change like the wind. We know in scripture that wind or breath is connected to that breath of God that brought us into being that wind or breath that came from four corners of the world and brought dry bones to life. Here it is the spirit, the wind, the breath that enables people to speak. As for fire, fire in Zechariah chapter 13, verses nine, it says, God is a refiner who brings the Israelites through the fire in order to refine them as silver is refined. We've said these kind of phrases in our lives, like I've been through the fire, I am under fire. James 3 says the tongue can be a fire with words that leave a path of destruction through human hearts. But we also know that fire represents the presence of God, that God spoke to Moses in a burning bush, that God led Israelites to freedom through a pillar of fire at night. We also know 
that fire was frequently used in contemporary Jewish and Greco-Roman writings to talk about, to be a metaphor for physiological experiences of prophetic inspiration. That when the spirit of prophecy fell onto a prophet, it awakened and alivened them to be able to speak and reason and think. And so here in the Pentecost story, Luke's symbolism of the Spirit's fire not only speaks to the power to speak God's word, but also to think about God, to experience God in fresh and inspired ways. Maybe even to feel God in fresh and inspired ways. Like the prophet Jeremiah who said, God's word is like a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. And so to me, it appears on this Pentecost that we have a choice. When our spirit feels like a spirit of division and doubtfulness and uncertainty and futility, The Holy Spirit offers us a spirit of unity and purpose and elevation and inspiration that when our body feels like dry, immovable, cracked, brittle bones, the Spirit can give us a fire that is shut up within us, igniting and invigorating our senses. When we give ourselves over to a tongue of gossip and backbiting and negativity, and a path of destruction, the Holy Spirit can give us a tongue of fire. Church, don't you want to be people filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, all its breath and all its fire? Today on Pentecost, we say that this was the birth of the church, but that is only true if we mean that the church is a body of believers empowered and emboldened by this Holy Spirit's outpouring. Do you want to see visions? Do you want to dream dreams? All these years later, God's Spirit is still inviting us to movement-making mission, inspiring us and giving us fresh fire. Thanks be to God. Amen.